1: There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well. Or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc.
2: Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. What beautiful spring weather we're having in the east. And we want to thank the listeners for their loyal support. We have a grassroots movement going all across this beautiful country. And I, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, your illustrious host and very humble host as well, want to thank you for listening. This first segment is going to be an update on close head injuries and concussions. What a year we've had. So many... Professional football and hockey injuries. Good news, Mr. Sidney Crosby, arguably the best player in the league, has returned to play with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So we certainly have to tip our hat to the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Dr. Mickey Collins, as they appropriately treated Sidney in a very conservative way, although, from what I understand, he required a lot of aggressive rehabilitation, and without knowing the particulars, I'm sure he was treated with the appropriate pharmacotherapy. So, this is a stunning success for the management team, and of course, Sydney plays for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, let's launch into an update about current science and management of concussion. This is very important for you, athletes out there, parents, and you weekend warriors like your road, Dr. Bruce, the sports doc. Let's talk about the neuropsychologist's role in treating sports industries injuries. That is well. Firstly, much of my practice deals with teenagers. Football players, hockey players, cheerleaders, those with head injuries. So what are the symptoms of concussion? Well, if we look, imagine a diagram because we don't, this is only a radio show. It's not a television show. So just imagine, close your eyes and imagine little bubbles. You've got cognitive symptoms. You've got attention problems, memory dysfunction, fogginess. Oh, it's interesting that fogginess is the number one symptom we see following concussion. you think it would be headaches. Uh, you think it would be visual symptoms, double vision. But particularly those more significant head injuries are those that report fogginess. And that's a cognitive symptom. Also, difficulty with sleep. What kinds of difficulty? All the wrong problems. The wrong problem is wanting to sleep in the day and not being able to sleep at night dysregulation of the sleep cycles. So we have one little bubble that deals with cognitive symptoms. We have another one dealing with sleep symptoms. Another one dealing with somatic or bodily symptoms, visual problems. One very common problem is difficulty reading or seeing double. And that has to do with the convergence. That is, when, when we read, our eyes move together. And that's controlled by the brainstem and the central nervous system. When there's an injury to the brain or brainstem, the eyes don't move together, and they don't come together in a smooth fashion. So that problem with what we call convergence manifests as difficulty reading and near vision. You also see a lot of vertigo, a lot of dizziness. Now, you might wonder, Doctor, why do people get dizzy when they hit in the head? Well, the one thing is There's actually a very sensitive balance system in our ears. It's the inner vestibular system. And it has semicircular canals, which are three canals filled with fluid. And they help balance us, keep us level. They they help let us know that we're walking flat. And they get scrambled when there's a head injury. For some of you... Classic people, I don't like to say old, but people like myself, we didn't used to listen to CDs, digital music, uh, any of that stuff. We used to put on vinyl and we used to have a turntable. And what happens we used to bang that turntable, very sensitive system. That needle would skip across the record. Well, that's exactly what happens to the balance system. When you get whacked in the head... There's a sensitive balance between the right and left side of the balance system. When that gets knocked off, people start to experience different abnormalities. They come and they say, Bruce the sports doc, I get dizzy. Things are spinning around like a merry-go-round. They might say, I feel like I'm in an elevator. I'm moving up and down. But I know I'm not. Or they may tell me, I feel very lightheaded. I feel like I might pass out. So, when I hear the history, it helps me decide what part of the brain or brain stem is injured and whether this is a peripheral problem with the hearing and balance apparatus or whether this is indeed a problem with the brain itself. So, there's a whole list of somatic symptoms. We did talk about headaches, not the number one symptom, but a very common symptom. And many of the headaches are very much like migraines. And interestingly, we can see these type of headaches in people who have never had a migraine in their life. Or worse yet, we might see somebody who's had migraines headaches, migraines, often a family history. Mom has headaches. Sister has headaches. Very characteristic headaches. But, you know, Doc... Headaches are always easy to manage. Maybe one a month, maybe two a month. All of a sudden, I get headaches every day. They're just like my migraines. Well, we believe that there's a neurochemical and neuroanatomic basis for headaches. And it seems to deal with the same chemical system that we see in migraines. That's the serotonin system. Serotonin is the chemical system that relates to migraines. So how is we, neurologists, we like to think we do a little better job of managing the brain than, let's say, a bone doctor who's, you know, could saw a leg in half or said fractures. But we feel that neurologists should be play a much more active role in managing brain injuries. And one of the advantages, we actually know how to treat the brain, and we understand not only the anatomy of the brain, but also the chemicals within the brain. So I'm going to share some of that with you. And the first thing we talked about is serotonin. So how, can we replace serotonin in the brain? Can we just give somebody a serotonin pill? The answer is no. Why is that? It's a fairly unstable molecule and it gets metabolized, so if you give somebody serotonin, poof, it's out of the system. So instead, we use drugs that actually stimulate the serotonin receptors. There's a whole class of drugs we call triptans, and they have funny names, like Imitrex, Relpax, Frova, Maxalt, and many of them are drugs that have triptan in the name, like Subatriptan, which is the first one to come out, is Imitrex. And what do they do? They actually stimulate the serotonin receptors. There's another drug called DHE, dihydroergotamine. What a long name. So let's use DHE instead. We could actually give this through the intravenous, through the nasal root, a drug called migranol, or atribuscularly. So this is called DHE. And this works on the same receptor, but a little different. And we also could use DHE, particularly for acute headaches these daily headaches, so we could give them triptans, usually orally, although we can use injections, such as sumatriptan, or we could go through the intranasal route, such as migranol nasal spray. They differ in their their molecular structure. They also differ with their duration of action. Drug called Frova is very good because It lasts a long time. It's something we give the ladies when they have that time of month, and they have those headaches that last maybe 48 to 72 hours. They need a drug that's going to last longer. So certainly, Frova would be a good choice. And the other drugs are are just great as well. There's also a category called combination analgesics. We treat head injuries with with migraines or with muscle contraction people say they feel a band-like sensation in the front part of their head we will often use drugs like butalbital, chemical names such as that drugs such as estric plus there used to be a drug called midrin which was very similar but I think for some reason that either that company went, went out of business or they just stopped making the drug but that drug was certainly good as well Let's say we have somebody who has weeks or months of headaches. Well, we could put out the fires. We could use triptans, combination, analgesics. One caution is to avoid, in the first 48 hours, to avoid aspirin, Motrin, Naproxen, those drugs that impair platelets. Because if there's a head injury with a little bleed that doesn't even show up on a CAT scan, what are we going to get when we thin the blood? Something very bad. We're going to get something called a big bleed. Either a subdural hematoma, epidural, or a bleed within the brain substance itself, the parenchyma, which is what we call a contusion. So a contusion can happen anywhere. You can get punched in the arm, and you hear that word contusion, it just means a bruise. However, when you get punched in the head, and you do a CAT scan or MRI, you see a collection of blood. The last thing you want to do is thin the blood. So please... Exert caution those first two to three days. Go with Tylenol. Go with combination analgesics. But please avoid aspirin, Motrin, Naprosyn, Aleve, and all of those related drugs. So, in your mind, you can still see those concentric circles we were talking about. You can still see the cognitive symptoms, the thinking problems, the sleep symptoms... The somatic symptoms, including headache, and then finally, the emotional symptoms. And that's why we have neuropsychologists. That's why we have occupational therapists. That's why we have different software, such as the Impact Testing. Kudos again to the University of Pittsburgh. And we certainly are very proud users of the Impact Software, and that's a very good company located in Pittsburgh.
1: Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist, serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grosinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at BruceThesportsdoc.com.
2: Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. This segment will deal with Returning to the Classroom, Returning to the Field of Play, and we're going to reference the lead neuropsychologist, Julie O'Reilly. Much of this discussion was excerpted from her excellent talk at the Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, the one-day symposium on January 28th of 2012. And this was organized by Kevin Crutchfield, who is the team doctor for the Baltimore Orioles, And the Baltimore Ravens. And again, kudos to Kevin Crutchfield. Great guy. And one of our chief collaborators here at Bruce, the sports doc. He organized a great one-day symposium. And we thank Julie O'Reilly. So, what is the role of the neuropsychologist? Identifying the various aspects of injury. We talked about the cognitive, which is the the brain, the thinking. The emotional, very important. With sadness, irritability, and also instability, whether it be anxiety and depression. It's the job of the neuropsychologist to put their finger on the problem and to help out with respect to improving the problem. With respect to head injuries... There's a difficulty with processing speed. And this is critical for schoolwork. So we have reduced speed of concentration. We also have trouble with executive function, which is planning. So what's one of the hardest thing things that a high school student has, and that is planning their time, juggling their extracurricular activities, studying for SATs or ACTs, devoting time to family, And also, cultivating and nurturing friendships at high school. So if somebody has a head injury, they're going to have impairment of all these planning and executive functions. That's something that could be diagnosed by the neuropsychologist through testing and through interviews. Also, short-term memory. So this is encoding information and also retrieving information, memory. This is stored in the temporal lobes. And another thing is reaction time, particularly on the field of play. So having a slow motor response, load reaction time, number one, greatly impairs performance. And number two, could also allow for injury. If you can't react, if you're playing football and you just can't react to the speed of the game, very very easy to get injuries, not only head injuries, follow-up head injuries, but also orthopedic injuries from just being in the wrong place and having your arms and legs in the wrong spot, not being able to protect yourself. So there's a lot of overlapping problems. Again, feeling slow, feeling foggy, forgetting information, slowness overall. And there's also an important role For returning to the classroom, essentially to monitor the progress and also to have the connection to the student athlete, ensuring rest, also monitoring the patient for two to three months. And during the time of the acute injury, reducing the amount of tests per day, reducing the amount of homework, and frankly, reducing the hours in school. So, in the beginning, if the athlete might return to half day schooling in the beginning they might have some whole homebound instruction, and there has to be an understanding and allowance between the school and the, the school district and the teachers, and the teacher's role is very instrumental. Some of these patients, and they are student athletes, require what they call an IEP, and that's an individualized educational program. And this involves communicating with the parents, offering support and encouragement, oftentimes special instruction, reinforcement of the principles, and allowing for learning to occur. Also, depression and anxiety has to be monitored and managed by the neuropsychologist, the neurologist, and has to. And there has to be an interaction between the parents and the student athlete. One of the biggest problems we see, particularly in hockey and football, is that there is a sense of denial on the part of the parents. Usually, I have to say, the father is usually the worst. There's a feeling like, you know, when I did it, you know, I took a lot of hits when I was young. How come you can't handle it? You got to be tough. You got to get back. And that there's definitely a role of the neuropsychologist to be able to show standardized tests and to be able to explain to the parents there is a problem and it will likely get better, but we have to manage it. And it's easy to be in denial. And that's the old school way of thinking. But as we say, certainly, uh, Keith Primo, uh, former captain of the Flyers said it, it's, uh, it's, it takes a, a, a courageous man to uh, to know that you're taking time off to get better. Because if you just return too early to the field of play, whether it be ice hockey, boxing, you name it, soccer, you're really hurting the team, okay, because you're hindering your recovery. Perfect example is Tiger Woods. We're not talking about a brain injury here. He felt a pain. He had recurrent tendinitis in his left ankle. He had trouble walking. In a year ago, he might have toughed it out, pushed through, finished the tournament. He might, he might have missed a month, four to six weeks. But you know what? He said, listen, I recognize it's, it's an injury. I've got to manage it. I've got to get better. And sure enough, he returned to play for a two-day invitational tournament. But yet, he's on track to play in the Masters. So Tiger, rather than being macho and saying, hey, I'm going to tough it out, He knew he had to take time off. So the same analogy is true for head injuries. And there are educational challenges. As the athlete goes on ahead, middle school, high school, typically they become more independent. So what happens? The expectations increase and the support diminishes. There's an expectation that the student has to be more independent. And that's great. But when you have a head injury situation, it could put the student in a precarious position. And particularly if there's no accommodations, what happens? They start failing in school. They're already anxious and depressed. They have headaches, feeling of helplessness, estrangement, downward spiral. So that's why it's so important for there to be a multidisciplinary approach between the neuropsychologist, the occupational therapist the, the neurologist and the team physicians and trainers as well as the uh the school districts and the teachers themselves and the good news is with proper management these people usually get better but there are exceptions there there are some of these long-term cases that uh the brain injuries uh plateau at a certain point and uh they need to be managed Medications need to be utilized, such as sedative hypnotic agents to help people sleep and restore sleep cycles. Antidepressants, talk about headaches and analgesics. Earlier in the show, we talked about the neurochemistry of headache and how there's parallels between migraine headaches and post-concussion headaches. are very similar. And as neurologists, we deal with them using... Our knowledge of neurochemistry and pharmacology to try to help people out. And the goal is not to keep them on drugs long-term, but short-term, allow them to get better. Allow them to get into a normal routine. Let's dig closer into the, uh, the role of the teacher in the school. The length of assignment should be modified. The teacher should help break down the steps in problem-solving. And the students should be given extended time to, um, you know, to get their work done in school, to complete assignments, and also with test taking. Extended time is, is certainly something that is offered to certain students with different learning challenges. And there's no reason that the head injured athlete shouldn't be afforded the same latitude. Also, the amount of time Under bright fluorescent lights should be limited. A lot of times we instruct the the families to have old-fashioned incandescent lights, which are much softer and easier on the eyes, especially with those who are light-sensitive with headaches and dizziness, and also to modify the volume of sound and the pace of delivery. We also have to have an allowance for diminished attention time and also memory problems allowing more time to study the test material. Provide not only verbal commands, but also written commands. Many patients with head injuries develop trouble, you know, with one or the other, verbal or written processing, and some, both. So to use both the visual system, which is written, and the verbal system, which is an auditory system, to use them both helps to reinforce the learning and also, you know, allowing for deadlines and to be very clear about what's expected. Also with the executive function, to have a designated staff member, to communicate with the teachers, to help the students to organize tasks and deadlines. Also to use a calendar and also providing the master notes that the teachers can. They have a master a set of master notes that they teach from for them to actually provide the written master notes so the patients could have them in advance. When they're in class, they could listen to it. They could look at it in a written way and also hear it and process it visually and verbally. So all these are very, very important tools. And, you know, students, the, 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 sports are great, but uh, most of these kids are, are not going to be professional athletes. So the key thing is to, is to keep them moving along in school, passing their grades, not losing out, not going into a downward spiral, spiral, excuse me. So key elements, communication, monitoring, parents, staff, flexibility, and also having the doctor playing an active role, dealing with the various symptoms of concussion and head injury, and eventually giving, when appropriate, the reassurance that the athlete can begin training, can, can, can begin cardio, you know, weightlifting, eventually patterning of the sport, and ultimately a return to practice, and finally a return back to playing in competition. Hope you enjoyed this segment. Hope it was uh, informative and not too boring. In any event, stay tuned. We'll be back in the. Day.
1: flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the Amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com.
0: If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually
1: can't find
0: one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific on the voice america sports channel
1: your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at one 888 346 9144 That's one 888 346 9144 Or send an email to Bruce at BruceThesportsdock.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome to the next edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. And Today we're going to discuss a hot topic relating to Kendall Marshall, the all-important point guard, number five of the UNC Tar Heels. Your favorite host, that would be me, I hope, was in attendance with your other favorite host, Spencer the Wizard. We're there at the Greensboro Coliseum near the end of the game. UNC was playing a flawless game. Kendall Marshall was engineering, passing, hitting three-point shots, just playing great. And he essentially uh, went up for what I believe to be a shot and went flying and collided with the Creighton player and landed on an outstretched right wrist. Keep in mind that Kendall Marshall is a left-handed dominant player. That is, he dribbles primarily with his left hand, and he shoots left-handed. He then played another seven minutes. He made one out of two free throws. He knew he had some pain, and he basically decided to shake it off. He didn't think it was that serious, and finished the game. So those of us who were in attendance for the UNC Crate game actually had no knowledge that Kendall Martin was injured at all. We certainly believed... <laughs> that he was the star of the game for you, sake, and engineered, as I said, a, a perfect game against a Creighton Blue Jay team that was up to the task. But the UNC team, due to the speed, the athleticism, frankly, the talent, just blew away Creighton. And it was a thing to watch. It; Those of us in attendance there believed that if UNC could keep that level of play, that they would likely face Kentucky for a Battle of the Titans, and that UNC could win yet another national championship. Lo and behold, as we were watching, my team, that is the Lehigh Mountain Hawks, a team that has only won one NCAA game in history, that is, stunning upset of Duke on Friday, word filtered through the arena that Kendall Martin had a fractured right hand, a fractured wrist. And everybody was clamoring to search the wires and find out what type of wrist fracture and what effect it would have on his ability to return, if at all, for the UNC Tar Heels. In that my friends is what we're going to talk about in this segment it turns out that Kendall suffered a scaphoid fracture we got to talk about what that is in our wrist we have eight carpal bones they're located next to each other and they provide support to the wrist with respect to the scaphoid bone it's an oft injured bone In fact, the classic way to fracture your scaphoid is to do exactly what Kendall Marshall did. To play sports and to land on an outstretched hand. He's certainly not the first athlete to suffer a scaphoid injury. Other notable scaphoid victims are David Beckham, best soccer player in the world, who suffered a similar injury and underwent a a surgical repair of the scaphoid had a complete recovery, and obviously returned to play. Another individual who you all know, another UNC Tar Heel, is Kenny the Jet Smith, who is uh, on TNT with Charles Barkley and is uh, a well-known popular figure, and announcer, analyst. He also had that injury, and I also heard him talk about that he eventually recovered and returned to play. So the thing about the scaphoid bone... (laughs) is that it has a tenuous blood supply. 80 per, because it's located on the thumb part of the wrist, which is called the radial part, it stands to reason that 80% of the blood supply would be through the artery that supplies blood to that side of the wrist, which is, again, as you can imagine, the radial artery. So let's talk about what exactly happened. Number one, I am not privy to the x-rays, nor have I conferred with any doctors who treated Kendall Marshall. So, all I know is what you know, well, perhaps a little more, hopefully, but what I know is what was reported in the newspapers and several media outlets, and this cub reporter has been scouring the media outlets to find out what exactly happened to him. What is clear is that he suffered a fracture of the scaphoid bone. It's also clear he underwent surgery this morning that involved a screw placement into his right wrist to stabilize the fracture. So why would somebody get surgery on a hand? Somebody as important as Kendall Marshall. There are two scenarios, medically speaking. One is if there was a significant displacement of the fracture. That is, if the bone was out of alignment and was not perfectly in place, and substantially so, that fracture would not heal well unless it was pinned or screwed in place. The other, which I believe is more likely, is that in order to facilitate a return to plague, a screw was placed to speed up the healing process and also to allow for mobilization of the right hand and to allow for a quicker return to plague. Kendall noted that he had had difficulty dribbling with his right hand and that it is is his non-shooting hand. However, being a point guard, basketball is a contact sport. So we have to look at the prognosis of this injury. In the best case scenario, from all I've read, he could return to play for the Final Four. I understand that his dad mentioned while he was coming out of anesthesia that his son hoped to play and that that Kendall's dad wanted him or thought that he might be able to play this weekend against Ohio University. In looking at reading about reports from UNC, directly and indirectly, I feel it is extremely unlikely that he will have completed the surgery and that he will be able to safely return to play. What it is clear is, when he does return to play, he'll have a fitted splint. What that will accomplish, it will protect the bone from re-injury, from re And one of the dreaded complications of this type of fracture is something called avascular necrosis. That is, if somebody returns to play too early, suffers another trauma with swelling, the blood supply could be compromised so much that the bone could actually die. And that's what we call necrosis. It means death of a bone. In that case, the bone could possibly need to be removed, and this could be a very permanent disabling injury. So that's really the downside of returning to play too early. So what is going to determine when Kendall Marshall returns? Number one, his ability to tolerate the pain, his ability to dribble, and his ability to mobilize the hand, to use the hand, Properly with dribbling a basketball and in certain ways supporting a basketball. But it has been mentioned that Kendall is so important as a passer that even if he was unable to shoot at all, the heels would be better to have him running the offense as their point guard. So there are many unanswered questions in this case about Kendall Marshall. Number one, was this a non displaced or displaced fracture? When will he really be able to return to play? And the only one who will be able to answer that definitively is the doctor who did the surgery and also to see how well he recovers. There are several factors. The type of fracture, by all reports, the, the surgery went well, but also you know, the individual, whether, he, whether he's going to be able to tolerate the pain in play. Because obviously if he's in such pain that he can't dribble a basketball, he will not be of use to a Division One basketball team in its run for the Final Four, and eventually the NCAA championship. So this is the unfortunate case where they won the battle, and also in in a way lost the battle because potentially lost their most important cog of the wheel, Kendall Marshall, and the time that he'll be out is at this at the time of the press here. Indeterminate, and frankly, the time of the show, we will not know. So, very unfortunate injury, and all of uh, the Tar Heels fans, as well as the other simple March Madness fans, will look at this. And the, the, uh, the backup point guards certainly have far less experience, and it is unclear whether the Heels could go beyond Ohio U and continue their run without Kendall Marshall. We will continue to keep you posted on this most important story. So, please stay tuned for the next segment of Bruce's Sports Talk.
1: internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist, serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit BruceTheSportsDoc.com.
0: We some hard hitters. Network. The opening
2: kickoff is a beauty. There's a
0: five-ball deep right field. That goes neal He's out. To got it. But 2.8 seconds <laughs> left, left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of
1: here. From high school to the pros, we, <laughs> we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at com. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome to the last segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. To recap our show, we led off by talking about an update on concussion. We talked about the psychologist's role in head injury and how emotions can become disordered. That is, patients can develop anxiety and depression, frustration, irritability, which is due to a brain problem, and how the neuropsychologist could play a role in the team and how that kind of testing is different than the computerized impact testing. We also talked about Kendall Marshall and his successful surgery for the scaphoid bone fracture in his non shooting hand. And we will keep you abreast of his progress and essentially There's a lot of talk around Chapel Hill about when and if Marshall will return to the lineup. Only time will tell. And now, let's have a little fun. Let's do an NC Tournament update. Firstly, we'll lead off with uh, the last game's. That went on in Greensboro, and I was in attendance for that, so I could give you a first hand insight into the games. Number one 95% of the fans were wearing Carolina blue, and North Carolina played almost a perfect game, winning 87 to 73. Kendall Marshall was the MVP, and at the very end, broke his wrist and had surgery. I am a graduate of Lehigh University, class of eighty one, and in my school's history, which is a, a very long and storied history, we've only had one countem one victory, and that would be over Duke on Friday night. And that was a perfect game by the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. That particular game involved great performances by the whole team, excellent coaching. And I believe that Duke had a downfall in uh, basically taking live outside shots, not really reacting to the, the trapping, pressing defense of Lehigh, and not using their height advantage. And in contrast, Xavier, who just beat our team 70 to 58, used the power of a big center. Can he freeze? Seven foot tall, looks like he's 300 pounds, basically had his way with dunks, nice moves, soft heads around the basket. Obviously, it was a bitter pill to swallow, but Lee, I had no answer. Gabe six nine, center, is, is really a, a forward. He's thin, and he really had no answers other than getting to foul trouble. So Lehigh really could not stop Kenny Freeze. And also, two Holloway showed his talents, particularly the second half. The clock is running down. The shot is in the air with one second left. Nothing but Cotton. Tremendous ball handling ability, shooting ability, and Holloway to me looks like an NBA player. So the Xavier Musketeers win seventy to fifty eight. Also, noteworthy games. In my view, Kansas pulled out a victory for one reason. Over Purdue. It is called bad coaching. Purdue had to lead the whole game. At the very end, when they had two possessions, they basically had no plan. They had their point guard dribbling around aimlessly and then taking bad shots at the end of the shot clock. Also, Again, over dribbling, throwing the ball away, getting it stolen for a dunk. So I believe if Purdue actually had called a play, had gone inside, tried to get fouled, other than just dribble around with one guy, I think Kansas would be playing golf right now. But Bill Self, great coach, a nice guy. Certainly, uh, Spencer the Wizard, my son, uh, attended the Kansas basketball camp and very classy organization. Bill Self is a great teacher and a very nice person, and we have to be happy for the Kansas Jayhawks. They've had their share of uh, underperformance. We remember two years ago when they lost to the Panthers of Northern Iowa, one of the biggest upsets in tournament history. While we're on the topic of underperformance, it seems like the Temple Owls, our local team in Philly, Seems to come up small in the big games. They had a big lead in the first half of the game. And they ended up playing small in the second half. Just not having any cohesion, not making shots, not defending well. And Freddie Duffy, who's a great coach and a very nice person, again, saw his Temple Owls go down 58-44. to in a game against South Florida and that saved South Florida team losing to Ohio University. And now it sets up a showdown of Ohio University and North Carolina. In my view, with or without Kendall Marshall, the Tar Heels should have enough juice to get them into the final eight. Other games? Baylor... A very high-powered team, a good offense. Number three seed will be going against Xavier. It'll be just interesting to see if Xavier has enough juice to stay with Baylor. That'll be an interesting game to watch. And the dominant team, Kentucky, will be squaring up against Indiana, who just came off of a squeaker, last-second buzzer beater, against VCU. Shaka Smart goes home this year. Despite having a team of underclassmen, it did carry him past Wichita State. But eventually, the the miracles ran dry. And Indiana is set for a showdown with Kentucky. Two big schools, two states, squared away to Atlanta. 945. That'll be a good game to watch. Syracuse playing without Senator Mello, who's been disqualified for the tournament on an academic basis. Playing big against Kansas State. Squeaking one out in in almost the first upset of a number 16 seed over a number one seed. UNC Asheville had the lead most of the game, but Syracuse finally pulled away at the end. And now, interesting contrast. You've got Wisconsin, a big team, although not overly athletic, against Syracuse. Jim Boeheim having one of his best coaching seasons so far in the NCAA without his big center, Melo. And that's going to be an interesting matchup. And that will be a seven fifteen 15 game. Ohio State against Cincinnati. Two Midwestern teams. So you've got two Ohio teams squaring up in uh the next round in Boston. So you really have some nice matchups coming up. Uh go, Going through Michigan State, looking strong, playing Louisville. I'd have to take Michigan State and Tom Izzo in that game. We'll see how that one plays out. Marquette and Florida don't really have a feel for this one. Certainly Florida has got great coaching. Marquette, a very athletic team. So that's where we are, the NCAA tournament. The first day, I must say, was very lackluster. The first Thursday, I was looking and saying, this is a, a drab tournament. And then Friday, all hell broke loose in the Lehigh Mountaineers pulled off the upset of the tournament beating Duke and I must say it was a joyous time for us I'd like to end this show by focusing on Roy Williams who is a very even-tempered guy but on his radio show really expressed the feeling of uncertainty that the Tar Heels have about their star point guard Kendall Marshall. And let's quote Roy now. We can talk all we want to, if this and if that. That's just a bunch of damn wasted time. There's nothing else to talk about until we find out what the crap is going on and then we'll talk about it. So if you know Roy at all, for him to be talking like that, that's about as much as you're going to get him cursing, frustrated, feeling questions, and not being in control. So Roy. A very organized program. He's in control of every aspect of that team, and uh, extremely organized, very disciplined. And now, all of a sudden, everything's hanging in the balance. He's got no control. Roy did venture a somewhat pessimistic forecast in regards to Friday's game against Ohio U. He said, "My guess is purely a guess that he will not play, but as I said, we're uncertain." So there it is, another week in the books, Bruce the Sports Doc. Really appreciate your listeners tuning in week in and week out. And uh, certainly, as always, we want to offer thanks to the excellent production crew at Voice America Sports. sports. Can't talk very well. It's late here, back in the east. Michael Mitchell, chief engineer extraordinaire. And of course, the ever-present watchful handle the tiller from Ray Ellis, our director, our leader at Voice America Sports. And certainly I've got Ray, I've got Ray to think, to thank for, for everything that I have here, for giving me the opportunity to have the show. And, uh, I hope you're learning a little bit about sports medicine and we're also mixing in some sports. So again, Wish you all the best. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for the next Bruce the Sports Doc.
1: Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.